Well, before we get started with the message today, I just want to let you know that I'll be back next weekend to kick off a brand new series called Together is Better. So I look forward to seeing you back here next weekend as we talk about how to make things better together. Today we're wrapping up our series called Whatever. Last few weeks we talked about a lot of things that relate to all our lives, from God's will to marriage to freedom. If you've missed any of the messages, you can download our app and either listen or watch. Now, today as we close out this series, we get to hear from Steve Larson. I've known Steve and his wife Shelly for about 20 years. He's a great friend, great leader, man of integrity. He lives over in Michigan and works for the Solomon Foundation that helps churches like River Glen to take their next step. And for about the last 10 years, he served on the teaching team here at River Glen. I'm really grateful for his friendship and for his teaching. So please give a, a big welcome to Steve Larson, who is coming to give our message today. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. My wife's in the audience. I think that was where the whistle was coming from. Thanks, Shelly. Really appreciate your warm welcome. You know that I'm a, normally I'm wearing green and white. I'm a Spartan fan, and so you still welcome me into your midst and have done that for over the last decade or so, and thank you. You know, my son, uh, 11 years ago, when I first was able to share with you, was 11 years old. He's now 22 and married, so it just uh, time flies, doesn't it? It goes by very quickly. I heard a story told recently about an English club, and there was a gen Japanese gentleman there sitting at a table looking rather nervous that day, and an Englishman walks into this club, and seeing the Japanese man, he figured he m might want to instruct him on some English etiquette before their meal began. So a man sitting there very nervously, and the Englishman picked up a knife. He said, this is knifey. He grabbed a fork. He said, this is forky. This is spoony, and this is platey. Well, Japanese man just kept nodding very courteously, and after the preliminaries were over, much to the shock of the English gentleman, the, the Japanese man was the keynote speaker for the day. And he got up and he delivered his talk in flawless English. He, when he sat down to a rousing ovation, he looked at the Englishman. He said, you likey speechy? <laughs> I don't know whether you're going to likey my speechy or not today, but I sure am thankful that I get to share with you from time to time. And in this particular series where it's called Whatever, get to pick whatever I'd like to talk about. We sang a few minutes ago, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And I hope today that I provide some hope with, with a good news theme as we finish off this series called Whatever. With our headlines regularly reporting about a racial divide in our country and police shootings taking place on a regular basis as well, followed by political vitriol, you may be in the mood for some good news. Friends, I'm seeing this good news message about Christ being shared in churches and is making a difference in churches all across the country. As been mentioned in the video, I work with a group called the Solomon Foundation, and we help churches finance their expansion plans. We help turn vision into a reality. And we've been privileged to partner with churches over the years like River Glen right here in Waukesha, and churches from Portland, Oregon to, to Portland, Maine that have been teaching this message of hope and message of Christ and showing that it's a good news message, even in challenging times like these. And we've seen lives change for eternity as a result by the thousands. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given an assignment to make a difference for Him, no matter where you live, no matter what you do. And the church has a mission, and part of that is to make this good news message, one that says, you matter to God, known to as many people as we possibly can. If you look at the practices of the early church, the one we read about in the book of Acts in the New Testament, there's one guy in particular that stands out, and we can learn a lot from him. 
His name is Paul, and he was an apostle, a follower of Christ that gave his life for the cause. If you're here and have chosen to follow Christ as well, perhaps Paul can inspire you this morning. If you're someone that's considering the claims of Christ, looking at Paul's life can demonstrate to you the, the kind of commitment that a sold-out believer in Jesus has. And when we, live, when we leave here today, hopefully we can have a more specific plan in mind as to what a real follower of Christ looks like. I mean, how did Paul make a difference for Christ with his life? In the New Testament book of, the, of Acts in chapter 17, we see that Paul definitely had a method. Every so often he went on a missionary journey. And in Acts chapter 17, there are some stories told that took place during his second missionary journey. Luke, the author, records some snapshots from three different cities in this chapter. They illustrate Paul's method, and we see how those cities responded to God and the message that Paul provided. Hang with me for a little while. The first half of this message is more historical in nature, and the back half will be a bit more practical today. Paul traveled about 100 miles to three-day journey on foot to arrive in a city called Thessalonica. It was a, one of the larger cities of the time. It was a city with lots of people there. That's what Paul liked to do, was go where the people were. It was the capital of Macedonia, a center for business rivaled only by Corinth. You know what happened there? Well, let's find out. Paul's method involved going to the local synagogue and finding both the, the devout Jews and the non-Jews called Gentiles, also known as God-seekers. He went where the people were and he began conversing with them. He reasoned with them. He had a Q&A sessions with them. He explained to them about Christ and, and opened the Scriptures with them. Paul announced that that same Jesus died and he rose again from the grave. Theologian Dr. John Stott said, Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion. The concept of the resurrection lies at its heart. For several weeks in Thessalonica, Paul had conversations about this resurrection of Christ. During that period, a large number of people realized that this is a good news message, and they started believing. You can imagine that not everybody was happy about this. Unbelieving Jews envied Paul's success, and they weren't happy to, to see Gentiles and influential women leaving the synagogue. There were some who believed, but plenty who resisted. In fact, some of those who resisted, they went after Paul. A riot broke out, and, and they tried to get him. Instead, he got away, and those dissatisfied residents of Thessalonica, they grabbed Paul's host, a guy by the name of Jason, and they're trying to give him a hard time, and eventually Jason put up some money assuring them that, that Paul and his sidekick Silas would leave town, and that's what they did. Paul and Silas went to a city called Berea, about 40 miles away. But that was snapshot number one regarding this agent for Christ, the Apostle Paul. Well, let me ask you, how would you feel about just going to the local religious establishments and starting up conversations and giving speeches much like Paul did? Most of us, no matter the subject matter, we have this fear of speaking in public. I saw a listing recently naming the, the top 10 fears that people have. Now, in this particular listing, the number one fear was the fear of flying, Anybody have a fear of flying here today? A few hands in the room. You know what number two was? Uh, number two on that listing of top ten fears was the fear of public speaking. Second greatest fear. It's fears about everybody taking notice of you and listening to what you have to say. Don't flub your lines. 
This fear, the fear of public speaking, is greater than the the fear of heights, the the fear of the dark, or even the fear of death, believe it or not. A while back, I heard a comedian comment about this. He said, if this is true, if the fear of public speaking is number two, and the fear of death is a little farther down the list, then at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. (laughs) Well, if Paul ever battled this common fear of public speaking, God must have answered his prayers because Paul's method involved many speeches and much dialogue, in particular in places where where people gathered. When he and Silas came to Berea, once again they went to the synagogue, they discovered a group of people that were quite interested in studying the Scriptures with them. Many people committed their lives to Christ. He must have been a quality communicator, and God's Spirit worked powerfully in his life as well. His method? Go to the synagogue where people are interested in talking about spiritual things. His message, proclaim or talk about the resurrection of Jesus. People believed in Thessalonica, and people started believing in following Christ in Berea too. The same challenge that Paul faced in Thessalonica when people went after him took place in Berea. The rabble-rousers from Thessalonica, they made their way to Berea, and they stirred up dissension. This time, Paul got on a ship, and he set sail for Athens. Left a place that was bearing much fruit and left some dear people behind. That was snapshot number two. In Acts chapter 17, Paul arrives in Athens not simply as a sightseer, but as a soul winner. He knew what he was called to talk to people about, this eternal hope, this good news message that could be found in Christ. He wanted to make a difference for Jesus, and he did whatever it took. Athens, located in Greece at this time in history, was still recognized as as a center of culture and education, but Athens was in a period of decline. had a famous university and numerous edifices, but, but it was not the influential city it once had been. And while Paul was in Athens, he did what any tourist would do. He went sightseeing. It was a fabulous city for tourists. It had theaters there, a great marketplace. The the Parthenon was there. Yet as he walked around the city, he saw their gods, many gods in Athens. In this city of 100,000 people, it's estimated that there were more than 30,000 different gods on display. One person said it was easier to find a, a god in Athens than a man. Paul was moved to do something about it. This was a culture that spent a great deal of their leisure time hearing about and discussing the latest new thing. They were devoted to philosophy, and and great thinkers like Socrates and Aristotle came from Greece. Well, as was his usual custom or method, Paul dialogued in the synagogue with, with the Jews. He also went to the marketplace called the Agora for further discussions. It didn't take very long for the philosophers of the day to hear about this new thing that was being discussed in the Agora. One group ridiculed Paul. They called him a a babbler. Another group was confused but still interested. In fact, they were interested enough that they invited him back to have a, a conversation to present his ideas to the religious and educational leaders of the city. So Paul had this tremendous opportunity to communicate his beliefs. I heard about an advertising agent in New York City who conducted an interesting experiment one time. He dressed in ragged clothes. He he put on sunglasses, carried a tin cup, and he wore a sign around his neck that read blind. He spent the entire day in Central Park, and he collected $44.10. 
The next day, he did the same thing under identical circumstances. And this time, the sign around his neck read, It's spring and I'm blind. That day, he collected $165.65, more than four times the previous day. There's a big difference here between communication and effective communication. Paul was an effective communicator. And I believe that he knew his material quite well, and he presented it in an interesting manner too. What did he do in Athens? Well, Paul went to this meeting, to this place on Mars Hill, and Athens was all about new things, and Paul certainly had a message that was worth sharing. What did he do? Well, he started where the people were. He said, I can see that you are religious people. He complimented his audience right off the bat. And I can, I can envision a, a listener going from having his arms folded and being kind of anti-Paul's message and maybe opening his arms a little as Paul proceeded. He told them he'd been walking around their city and he, he noticed all their religious objects. He even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. And Paul went on to tell them about a different God, one who can be known He said, he's the God who made the world and and everything in it. And then he added, he's the Lord of all. He doesn't live in temples made by human hands. He's not distant or divorced from his creation, but but he gives men life and and breath. During this message, Paul quoted from one of their poets who said, for in him we live and, and move and have our being. And then he added a quote from a couple other poets of their day saying, we are his offspring. Paul connected with his audience without compromising his message. He was saying that all people are, are God's offspring and that they've been created by God. They received their very life from Him. He told these thinkers of the day, if we're created in God's image, it's foolish for us to, to make gods in our own image. Friends, Paul was saying, everybody matters to God. The same thing is true today. In case you're wondering, you matter to God too. And then Paul proceeded to tell his audience about an entirely new concept to them one called God's grace. He said that for centuries God was was patient with man's sin and in arrogance. And in due time, God sent a Savior and now seeks for man to repent of his foolish ways. The Savior was killed and, and then raised from the dead, and one day he'll return to judge the world. This message given by Paul about 2,000 years ago is still true today. While Paul may have changed his approach in this message and quoted from poets from time to time, He never changed his basic message. It was the message of the resurrection, and most people in Athens could not buy into that. They couldn't accept it. Basically, Paul gave the same message in Athens that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost when thousands of people committed their lives to Christ, and the church was launched with great momentum. (laughs) When Paul preached these same truths in Athens, he received a mixed reaction. Some sneered. Some had additional questions, searching for more information. Uh, A few believed. Whether people responded to the message or not, what did Paul do? He kept right on going as a faithful servant. And in our day and age, so must we. So what do we do about that? How should we respond? Well, you might think to yourself, well, I'm not an apostle. I can never just walk up to a a group of people and begin a dialogue about spiritual matters. I I certainly don't know all the the answers to the questions that they'll be asking. I'd rather stay undercover. Maybe you think, well, I I can never imagine myself giving a a speech standing in front of a group of people about Christ or 
give a speech about anything for that matter. That's just not me. That's so outside of my comfort zone. I'd rather just stay undercover. I'm more comfortable there. Well, maybe God is calling you or calling River Glen to talk about Christ in a different way. How can you or how can we communicate the, the message of Christ so it has an impact on people today? How can I be a, a modern-day missionary on my own journey, much like Paul was? I heard a talk given by an Asian man a little over a year ago. His name was Ying Kai. And the room he was talking in was filled with pastors and church leaders, probably 5,000 people sitting elbow to elbow listening to Ying Kai speak. He stood in front of this room and spoke very humbly and, and just kind of shared his story. He, he said about 15 years ago, he led a, a small group of believers in his home in China. Quite frankly, he wasn't dynamic in the way that he spoke. If he were standing in line with a bunch of other leaders, you wouldn't think he was one that fit in with everybody else, wouldn't be impressed with him. He just shared very simply and started telling people from time to time how Christ changed his life. He, he said something like, you know, before I met Jesus, I had an anger problem. My, my marriage wasn't very good. So then I let Jesus lead my life, and my anger problem went away, and my marriage was good. And You should let Jesus lead your life too. He can change you. Made a difference for me, he said. <laughs> his story of a changed life began connecting with others. He challenged his small group that met in his home to do the same kind of thing, and in the next week, then to, to come back and tell how God had opened some doors and, and how God had used them. Well, this small group started making a significant difference, and since that small group start, started telling others how Jesus made a difference in their personal lives a little more than a decade ago, get this. More than two million people started following Christ. The movement of, of Christ followers is making a real difference in the part of China where Ying Kai and his family reside. God's power is being demonstrated through his life in a remarkable way. <laughs> when I graduated from college, I, I joined a family business with my dad. It was just my dad and me to begin and we eventually started adding some accounts and added some more employees. The business started getting a, a little more profitable, and, and it was growing. It started becoming successful. However, over time, I realized that nobody ever really called me on a, a Monday morning and said, you know that product you sold us? It changed my life. And uh, people at the same time were saying, I, I think maybe you missed your calling in life. And I, I eventually started to listen to that. And our company continued growing, the profits were increasing, and I was eventually able to leave the family business behind and move to, to North Carolina and start a church from scratch. We moved to this rapidly growing area outside of Raleigh, North Carolina called Cary. It's spelled C-A-R-Y, and I've told you from time to time, many people say it stands for Containment Area for Relocated Yankees. A lot of northern transplants moving down toward the south, and that's what happened. Uh, they needed a, a family, a church family, away from family. So we moved there. We didn't know anybody. Starting this church from scratch, and people started attending. They started committing their lives to Christ. About six years into it, more than 1,000 people were, were part of the church. And during that time, we had a chance to, to help plant three other churches in that area of North Carolina. And today, more than 6,000 people are part of those churches. Lives have been changed for eternity. And you may think, well, it's not in the cards for me to, to get a movement of 2 million people following after Christ. You may not be wired to, to quit your job and move 600 miles away to start a church from scratch, but, 
but you are wired to make a difference for Christ, and it can be right where you are. A good friend of mine has a son who's a ranger in the army. He's a guy that's in the special forces, and he's received some specific training for his military missions. He's kind of like a a Navy SEAL or a, a Green Beret. Special ops is what some call this. I believe that God has some special ops in mind when it, for you too. It may not be in North Carolina or in China. It may not be in Athens or other parts of Europe. But what might that look like for you right here in southeastern Wisconsin? Bo Chansey is a pastor of the Manchester Christian Church in New Hampshire. And a couple years ago, he challenged the people in his church to start praying for one. Pray for one opportunity, he said. Pray for one specific person that you can connect with so they can hear about Christ. Bo said, if you will do this, our church will more than double in size in the next couple of years. But more importantly, more people will get to know Christ. Well, when Bo became this congregation's pastor a few years ago, they had about 1,000 people that were part of that church on weekends. And and today, just a few years later, nearly 4,000 people are part of Manchester Christian Church, largely because its members are praying for one. God is providing opportunities for them to communicate how Christ is making all the difference in their lives. And This church has had a revival. Friends, your assignment, should you choose to accept it, is in the special ops. And it looks like this, ops, O-P-S, where, where the O is for opportunity. Can you pray for one opportunity where you can make a difference for Christ? One opportunity. And it may be in your neighborhood. The couple next door may be having some challenges relationally or financially. Perhaps they're having a, a hard time with their kids right now. And you may be the one person that's in their path that, that can help them out. It, it may be at work. If you're involved in the marketplace and you're doing a bang-up job, there may be an opportunity for you to come alongside a coworker and encourage him or her. Friends, if you pray for one opportunity, I believe that you can expect God to provide one. That's part of being in the special ops where that O is for opportunity. P is for person. Can you pray for one person where you can have a conversation with them about Christ? Much like Ying Kai did when he said he no longer has an anger problem. Can you pray that God leads you to to one person who needs to hear about Christ from you? Can you imagine what could happen around here if we all did this? Where where thousands of people could be impacted for eternity. Jesus is consumed with the one. If a shepherd will leave the 99 to, to look for the one, then one matters. Jesus is that kind of shepherd. He is passionately fixated on finding the one. Ask God to give you one person to share his love with. As often as you pray, pray for one. Instead of viewing people as a nuisance, you'll see them as the one. They become objects of grace waiting to be found. No day is wasted because we can rise in the morning with a true sense of mission and and purpose. It may be a family member, a friend, a a neighbor, a, a co-worker. This summer has been a particularly busy one for me, probably for you too. I always think, you know, summer's going to be much more relaxing, and then it's kind of, there's a lot of hustle there, and then all of a sudden it's, it's over. You know, maybe that's how you're feeling as well. I, I often think there'll be more time, downtime during the summer than there really is. Now, one task I've had recently was the writing of this particular message. I had uh, study the good part of a day on Tuesday and had planned on writing the bulk of this message on, on Wednesday. 
and I was facing some deadlines and getting my message notes to the right people at the church, and I was feeling under the gun. Well, when Wednesday morning came, just as I sat down to start putting my thoughts on paper, the appliance guy came to repair our refrigerator. I worked from home, and my wife was gone that morning, so I let him in. And I explained the problem to him, and I went back to my office to begin writing. About 10 minutes later, he, he yelled up the stairs to me that, that he was already finished. I thought, well, well that's good. He, he can go, and I can get cranking on this message now. Well, I remembered him from the last time we had a repair, and he likes to talk. And I wrote the check and, and handed it to him, but he seemed like he was in no hurry to leave. And the human side of me started thinking to myself, I need for him to hurry up and leave so I can write this message about impacting people for Christ. <laughs> and honestly, as soon as I recognized those thoughts, I, I realized that he may be the one person that God has in my path for today. He may be my one opportunity. You never know. I stopped viewing him as, as a distraction and simply took the time to talk, <laughs> although I mostly listened. During our conversation, I eventually tried steering the conversation toward a spiritual direction without any success. He, he just wanted to talk about trucks, so I, I listened. I'm not a great personal evangelist, but I, I thought, God, if you want this to go somewhere, I'm willing. Well, he eventually made his way back out toward his truck, and we simply shook hands. We wished each other well. But, but friends, I kind of had a, a personal breakthrough that morning where I thought, Lord, Thanks for helping me to be more sensitive to the interruptions that come my way. I'll try and be more available to your leadings. Thanks for the wake-up call. <laughs> what about you? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to, to let God use you as a, as a member of His special ops team and pray for one person where you can share His love? When Bo Chancey challenged his congregation in New Hampshire, one older lady came up to him and she said to him, Oh, honey, I, I prayed for one and got 22. What do I do now? <laughs> he replied, Well, what do you want to do? And she looked at him with tears in her eyes and a grin on her face, and she said, Oh, I guess I'll, I'll pray for one more. Praying for one sets your heart in rhythm with the heartbeat of Jesus. God's special ops team asked him for one opportunity. God's special ops team prays for, for one person. If speaking is still a little bit of a stretch for you, if, if that's one of your fears in life, God's special ops team asks him for a chance to serve first. Where you can serve. That S is for serving. Can you, can you make a difference by, by starting to serve someone? You never know what it might lead to. Where can you serve? If, if nothing comes to your mind, Right away, perhaps your prayer needs to be, God, will you lead me to an opportunity where, where I can serve someone? And friends, when you serve, it can lead to a situation where they unfold their arms and become much more open to you and, and to God and His ways. Let me tell you about a couple of serving opportunities around here that may be an answer to prayer and to others too. River Glen is getting on board with, with helping to support the flood victims in Louisiana. We're partnering with a, a church in Baton Rouge called The Healing Place. Thousands of people are currently homeless, and people from across the, the country are stepping up to help, to serve. And you can be part of something like that through this church, and there's more information in your weekend program. Also, this church is participating in something called Love Waukesha this fall, where River Glen is partnering with a local elementary school, Whittier Elementary, and it's helping to conduct a, a back-to-school event for them. 
Perhaps you can touch the life of a, a student through an effort like this. Where this weekend, bags are being handed out in the lobby and, and you can participate. Maybe you can volunteer and be a, a bag passer outer and get involved in, in more than just giving something too. There's more information in the weekend program there as well. When you start serving, you can earn the right to be heard. Your humble Christ-like spirit may be winsome to the people you come into contact with. They may see Jesus in you. Jesus himself one time said, I came not to be served, but to serve. If you want to make a difference, then serve. Can you imagine the difference that can be made around here for et- and for eternity if, if people from around this church were, were serious about serving and grabbed hold of this mindset where thousands of people can be impacted both now and for eternity? That's good news. That special ops team, that OPS where you pray for an opportunity and you pray for one person and you pray for a chance to serve. Opportunity, person, serve. Which one resonates with you? The Apostle Paul He had a method, and he had a message. And in spite of some challenges that came along the way, Paul kept right on going as a faithful servant, and so must we. Let us not become weary in doing good, as some are in the habit of doing, but at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. May God bless you as you continue making a difference for Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the inspiration of someone like Paul who lived his life for your cause. Thank you that Jesus radically turned his life around and Paul demonstrated a way for us to live as well. Would you help us to be like Jesus and serve? Would you help us to be like Paul and serve? Give us the courage and the faith to take that next step, that first, that next step in, whether it's an opportunity or a person or a serving experience. Give us courage, Lord, and we can look back and, and see how you have shaped us and molded us to become more like your son in the process. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.